Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. The angel, uh, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thank you, Ben. It's good to be up here again sharing um, what God has been revealing to me this week. Um, but to, to start off with a story, and, and maybe a story that uh, many of us can relate to. I used to work in Mount Barker and live down um, in Kensington. And uh, there was one time we had a meeting. I had a meeting with some people in Littlehampton. Uh, and so Littlehampton is, is like the next suburb over, next town over from Mount Barker. And uh, coming, coming from work, I was driving down um, the main street of Mount Barker towards the freeway. But now you know that if you're going to Littlehampton, you have to go straight through to Littlehampton. And I was driving and it was, it was um, after work. And so those who, who live in Mount Barker, have been to Mount Barker, the, the kind of three to five is the traffic's pretty bad along that main road. Um, and we're just crawling along. And it, I, was like, I was running late for this meeting. And I was like, come on, like, can't we go any faster? And then my, my mind just went into autopilot mode because uh, I was distracted by my frustration and, and like thinking of this meeting and what I need to do here and, and like stuff going on. And, um, and I was crawling along just at the opening of the, the freeway, uh, the, the uh, on-ramp, and I was just autopilot, went on and then started driving. And, um, and then was able to go 110, uh, which is, is great. And I was soaring down the freeway. I thought, finally, I get to you know, drive with a bit of speed. And, uh, and I wasn't speeding. Um, <laughs> and then it was about at uh, Bridgewater. I realized, oh, hang on. <laughs> I'm going in the completely wrong direction. And uh, although I was soaring, although I was driving... Uh, and it, had I stayed on the way to Little Hampton, I would have been crawling. Uh, uh, this this uh, teacher I've been um, doing this course with, David Pallison, who's uh, with the Lord now, he says it's better to crawl in the right direction than to drive in the wrong direction. And that's part of what that passage is about uh, that we've had read. And even thinking about... Um, 
our own church in Hills Baptist. We've, you know, we're celebrating 150 years uh, uh, with Mount Barker and 50 years of our own um, history. And we, we have success story after success story. We have a lot to be proud of as a church. We've been growing. Uh, we've, we've planted churches now, two churches. We've uh, amalgamated with another church. We've written a new constitution where we've got a large youth group and a lot of young youth and energy. Uh, we've got a, a great kids program. Um, we're doing lots of things and we're, we're achieving lots as a church. But a really important question we've got to be asking is we're, we're driving fast. Like there's lots going on. Are we going in the right direction? Are we going in the right direction? And uh, Jesus had a warning for a church, I think a lot like us in Ephesus, where there was lots going on, a lot of success, uh, but there was a warning. And how do we make sure we're on the right track? By returning to what set us on that path. And what Jesus said to the Ephesians was returning to their first love. And that's what this whole series is about. We've, as a, as a church, we've been like doing lots of things and that's been really good. And c- coming into September, uh, the leadership really felt we need to stop and slow down and return to our first love. Come back to that which unites us and ignites us, uh, the love of God. And so that's what we, um, we've wanted to do uh, this September. And we talked about the story of the prodigal son and the father's pursuit of the lost. Uh, and today we're going to look at that passage where that term um, for forgetting the first love comes from in Revelation and what we'll unpack. So just a bit of uh, context for, uh, for the, these letters. In Revelation, it, uh, the apostle John gets a, rev- a revelation, like a vision from Jesus of the end. And he, he meets the risen Lord Jesus, uh, and, and there's this amazing description of him in Revelation 1. Uh, Jesus as the Lord of all the earth who holds uh, seven lampstands and holds the seven stars, seven being the perfect number, and, and, um, and all this amazing imagery. And in the, the first thing uh, that Jesus does with John is he, write, he gives John messages to give to churches uh, throughout um, uh, the known world at the time. Uh, and along this particular path um, geographically. And the first one is Ephesus. And every, every letter has the kind of same formula or same structure, uh, which is which, where Jesus says, to the angel of the church in a given city, write this. And then it, it gives some sort of depiction of Jesus, where, where in Ephesus, it's, um, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And walks among the golden lampstands. So a description of Jesus. Then it says what Jesus knows and kind of um, celebrates, generally celebrates like um, what the church is doing well and, and some praise for that church. But then, uh, then it goes into, but, this, but I have this against you. And offers some uh, correction, some reproof, some challenge to that church. And it ends with... Uh, the. The one who has ears must pay attention to what the Spirit says. Or verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then gives um, some sort of promise uh, to those who remain true, those who conquer, those who overcome. So that's the general uh, structure of these letters. Uh, the, 
the one to Ephesus, um, Ephesus is this, the church and the city that the book of Ephesians is written to. Um, it doesn't take a Bible college degree to figure that out. But uh, one of the really interesting places in, um, in the, like the, the first century world, uh, it was it was well known for its cult worship, worship both of Artemis uh, and uh, Artemis being the god of um, pleasure and sex and and all you know wrapped up into that whole culture, but also the cult worship of Caesar and the Roman Empire, emperor and um, uh, and all that kind of thing. And so Ephesus was a city with incredible uh, pressure on the church, both to compromise the teaching and to lean into. Um, uh, like sex and idolatry and idol worship and and all that kind of thing, but also a lot of pressure from the government to to um, compromise their values, compromise their allegiance to Jesus, compromise uh, who they are, and uh, there was a lot of pressure, a lot of opposition, which is why in the end of Ephesians. Uh, you know, Paul writes to Ephesians to put on the armor of God to stand firm. Uh, to remain true. And uh, Jesus writes this letter to Ephesus and to the, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. He says, well done and remaining strong. What, is he, what does he know of Ephesus? Verse 2, I know of your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you have tested those who have claimed to be apostles but are not and you found them false. Like this church in Ephesus has been persevering. Um, under incredible external pressure, it's been remaining true. It's been um, fighting off these, these little things that try to come in and compromise them. And, and apostles or people coming in as leaders and trying to show them a different path and, and lead them away. They've been able to discern what is right, what is true, and remain uh, solid, rock solid in true doctrine, in true practice. They've been doing everything right. They've been flying along. But there's still something wrong. They've got great doctrine. They've got great practice. They look fantastic as a church, as a community. But verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. They've forgotten that which drew them into the kingdom in the first place. They've abandoned, they've forsaken, they've forgotten their first love. Their doctrine replaced their devotion. You could also say their doing replaced their devotion. They were serving and serving and serving, kicking goals, uh, achieving what they set out to achieve, remaining firm, having great doctrine, great, great truth, doing the right stuff, wearing the right stuff, saying the right stuff, but forgotten, why are we actually here? They're doing all this great stuff for God, but don't actually know God, love God. The, um, now, people argue whether the, this first love is uh, love for one another. They're not loving towards one another. Or they argue, is, is it they don't love God, that in personal devotion. Or, and what I think, and we'll, we'll land here, is, is it they've forgotten 
the love of God for them. That the first love that drew them into the kingdom, that gathered as a people of God, is God's love for them. And um, J.R. Packer, the late J.R. Packer, he said, Western evangelicals, so that's, that's us mostly, Western evangelicals, can smell unsound doctrine a mile away. Like we're very good at discerning good doctrine. And we know what's right, we know what's wrong. We're good at doing church and doing that kind of thing. And yet the fruit of personal experience of God often proves rare among us. That's a big challenge for us as a church. We might be doing all this stuff as a church, but do we actually know and love God? Last week, we looked at the story of the prodigal son, that that very famous uh, story, parable that Jesus taught. And it's a bit like that older son in the story. After the son come back and the father celebrating, he's out, um, out in the paddock and he says to the father, don't you remember all this stuff I've been doing for you? Don't, you? don't you recognize that I've served so much, I've done all these things? And he, he forgotten why he was part of the family in the first place. Because the invitation of the father. It's a case of, of having misplaced identity. Identity as a church, identity as individuals is found in what we do, what we hold to, what we say, how we look, what family we're from, rather than an identity that's founded on the love of God. It's kind of, is this kind of misplaced identity that, that can lead to burnout, that leads to conflict, that leads to falling away from the church? Throughout um, Throughout Australia, throughout the world, we're, there's this movement of, of deconstructing church where people have been part of church and doing and doing and doing and, and kind of getting wrapped up in the culture and the, all the activity of church. But then they're reaching this point where they're asking, like, what's the point of all this? Why are we actually here? Why are we doing the things we do? Why is the church behaving in the way it's behaving? And so deconstructing and asking questions. And in some cases, that's actually a really good thing because people ask the right questions and they, like this path leads some people to the first love. They recognize it's not about church culture and Christendom and all that. It's actually about the love of God for them. But many, many, many people, this deconstruction is leading them away from the love of God. It's this moment in the, in the church in Ephesus And I think the church in the West on the whole, this successful tragedy where the church is in this place of prominence and power and success, but we forget why we're even here and who we're even about. And the warning that God has, Jesus has for the church in Ephesus, he says, um, repent and do these things. If you do not repent... I will come to you, I will remove your lampstand from its place. There's a, a warning that the church will no longer exist. The flip side of that is the promise at the end to remain, to conquer, to overcome. He says uh, he will give um, the right to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So to remain and overcome and stick at it, 
will have the opportunity to be with God forever, to live forever with God. But all, all the perseverance, all the steadfastness, all the right doctrine will not preserve the church. Will not preserve the church. Only remaining and returning to the love of God will. Now that begs the question, well, how do we do that? How do we come back to this first love? And Jesus gives us a path to follow. In verse 5, it says, Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Or another way, return to the things you did at first. So remember, repent, and return. It says, remember from where you have fallen. Where were we in the first place? Why are we even Christian? Like, what is it that makes us the community of God? Why are we here? Who, who am I? Probably the most important question to ask in our lives is, who am I? And, and just, just to think, like, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? It's not someone who goes to church. A Christian is not someone who, who lives a good life and does really good things. Is not someone who believes a certain set of beliefs. Is not someone who reads their Bible and prays. A Christian is not someone who has prayed the sinner's prayer, if I could say that somewhat controversially. A Christian is someone who is in Christ. Right? It's in the name. Christian in Christ. Someone whose identity comes not from their actions or position or serving or giving, but comes from God. Comes from God. Jesus came to earth. He was God's son who was sent to earth to die and to rise again and to give us life. So that we could live in Christ rather than in ourselves. And that's what being a Christian is, is someone who is in Christ. And now why did God send his son into the world? Because he loves us, because of his love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. It wasn't the church was doing such a great job that God <laughs> sent his only son. People figured out, the path to righteousness, so he sent his son. No, God loved the world that he sent his son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. Jesus died and rose again to give us life because God loves us. That was a key theme in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, we've been working through that. We had a break. We're having a break from Deuteronomy to, to cover... Um, uh, this first love series, but we just can't help, well, I can't help myself going back in there. The key theme in Deuteronomy is he, the Israelite people are chosen by God, and they're not chosen because they're a great nation. They're not chosen because they got things right. They're not chosen because they've said the right things, done the right things, behaved the right way, because we know they haven't. That's very clear. They're chosen because God loves them. And before 
before their role or position or service, whatever, they're a child of God. And that's something for all of us to know and remember. And for me to know and remember, before I'm a pastor, before I'm a leader, I am a child of God, loved by God. And any of us serving in any capacity, in any way, before that role, youth leader, kids pastor, elder, committee member, chair stacker, before that, we are a child of God. We need to remember, remember the first love. Where have we come from? What has brought us together? There's, um, remember, this is a command that comes up again and again and again in the Bible. Now, I thought I'd actually do something slightly interactive and ask, who wants to guess how many times the command or verb of remembering comes up in the Bible? And I've got a reward for who gets the closest, thanks to uh, our friend from Nestle over there. All right, come on. Let's get some guesses. How many times? Hands up. Let's do that. All right, there's one guess. Who's? 512. 300. Where was that? There you go, Emily. 350. 700. 402. 108. Oh, now I've got to do some maths. Look, 460. Um, the answer is 253, depending on translation, but generally 253. So I believe Emily's the closest at 350. You can have this. So you're all very ambitious and optimistic, aren't you, about how important it is remembering. <laughs> But 250 times, it keeps coming again and again and again and again and again because we're so forgetful, aren't we? We're so forgetful. Just to dabble in Deuteronomy again, Deuteronomy 8, which we didn't cover in, our, in working through the book, talks about how God had brought them through the desert and through hardship and brought them into a place of prosperity so that Israel would remember who they are, that they would remember in times of despair and challenge that even in those times where, where life is hard, we are a child of God. But also in times of prosperity, when things are going great, when we look and feel fantastic, we remember we are a child of God, that we belong to Him, that He loves us. It's, we're not accepted in a child because of all this great stuff we're doing and all this prosperity. We're a child of God because of God's love for us. And that's what it seems the church of Ephesus had fallen into in this time of prosperity and persevering under much a hardship. They've forgotten why they're there in the first place. And this command of remembering, we need to remember or notice that it's written to a community, right? This letter isn't to an individual, it's to a community. So part of remembering is reminding each other. Reminding each other of the love of God for you and for me. In the story of the prodigal son, uh, what leads the younger son who had, who had gone off and lived his own way, what leads him to repentance was remembering the love of his father, the character of his father. 
And that leads him to repentance. It says, remember, repent. Jesus says to remember and repent. Because if our, if our hearts aren't, if we're not sitting in the love of God, if we're not finding our identity in the love of God, if our hearts aren't hungry for the love of God, it's hungry for something else. If we're finding our identity in something else. We're chasing after something else. Well, you know, and what, what might it be that, that the, the, the heart of the Ephesus church had turned to? That, that um, pride of having good doctrine, that pride of standing firm under pr- oppression. And what, what might, might it be for us? Where are our hearts tempted to turn uh, away from God to performance, to our role, to recognition, to justice, even good things? to finding attention for ourselves, self-gratification. Where, where do our hearts turn? Even again, the story of the prodigal son, the older son, he's more concerned about his own efforts being recognized than he is uh, concerned about the invitation of the father. Now, this, this response might sound harsh, right? I, like the, the, the church in Ephesus is doing a great job, like good on them. And yet there's a, there's a warning that they'll be wiped out as a church just because they've forgotten um, their first love, the love of God. Like, isn't that harsh? Like, is, aren't they doing good and isn't doing good good enough? Well, God is a jealous God. Jealous in the sense he, he is fiercely passionate about our love because there is nothing else in this world that deserves our love and devotion, our true, um, complete, entire love and devotion. And he, he gets angry when people turn to other things, even good things. He gets angry, not because he's an angry, vengeful God, but because he's a loving God. God's anger is an instrument of his love. God's anger is an instrument of his love, and he wants us to repent. He wants us to repent and realize and confess that our hearts have turned away from him. He wants us to, to confess that and ask for forgiveness and return to him. To return to him. We remember, we repent, and we return. And like that first son and the prodigal son, when Jesus, when the, well, sorry, when the son decided to repent, he, he remembered the character of God. He, he uh, had a plan of repentance and he turned to go back to his father to repent. He didn't find his father waiting on a hill saying, all right, good of you to repent, but come earn my forgiveness now. He finds the father running out to meet him, to embrace him. Because what we're returning to, our first love that we're turning to is not an idea. It's not an institution. It's not an ideology. It's a person. It's a person that we are returning to. The very person of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, an interesting discussion to have over coffee after today is what makes someone a person? And uh, what does it mean that God is a person? And what does it mean to be personally loved by God? 
very interesting and I think important questions to grapple that we were here not because we're part of an institution or part of a movement or because we're all gathering to do good things. We're here because a person loves us and called us and made us his own. God is a personal God and we're returning to a person, a God who loves us. And when we return to God, we return to his love. That then, it's not like we return to love and all this good stuff that we were doing falls apart. And that doesn't matter as long as we're in the love of God. We return to the love of God and then we love others from the love of God. And first first and foremost, we love God. We return to our own devotion to him. Um, uh, it, It says in the Bible, we love God because God first loved us. And when God loves us, we recognize how far he went to pursue us and save us and change us and draw us to himself. When we realize the extent of his sacrifice in light of our own sin and rebellion, that stirs something in you. That, that love of God tra- like hits us and embraces us and transforms us. And first, it, it causes our hearts to love Him. As we know and, and understand the person and work of Jesus, that will stir a love and hunger for Him in us. But not just towards God, but also to each other. As we, as we know and return to the love of God the Father, that will flow through us to the people around us. That, that love and affection towards us, even in spite of our sin and rebellion and all that, when we understand God's love for us, that empowers us to love others. When we understand the extent of forgiveness that God has forgiven us, that empowers us to forgive others. When we, we understand how much as God has served us, that empowers us to serve others. The love of God works in us. And, and those actions and the things we do and all this, the great stuff that we might be doing as a church, whether it's founded on God's love or, or not, it looks very different. It could, it could look different. It could look very, very similar. But what's at the core is what's most important. We return to the person of God. We love God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think we we keep need we keep we need to hear this more and more. And, And at times I feel like, am I just talking about this too much? That we're saved by grace, that God loves us, and God loves you, and God loves me. But the, the more that I the more that I work with people and talk with people and wrestle with, with pastoral issues within the church, the more that I, I hear other people speaking this over me, the more that I just try and stumble through uh, pastoring a church and even just stumbling through my own life and journey, the more convinced I am that we need to hear this more and more, that God loves you that he is the one that has invited you into his family and made you his daughter or his son. That has made me his son. I'm part of God's family, and that is who I am. Not a pastor, not a dad or a husband, 
First and foremost, I'm a child of God. I need to hear that. I need you to remind me of that. And I will keep reminding you of that. It's a good deal. At the center of this passage, there's this question of what's most important? What's most important? Doing lots of things or desiring God? Returning to our first love? And, I, and as we finish up, a question to, to wrestle with and maybe, you know, talk about um, today at lunch or in our life groups during the week is how do we grow that desire for God? And we might be in a, in a position where uh, we, we feel that. We, we're, we're in the love of God. We know the love of God and that's exciting. That's filling us. How can we want it more? How can we go deeper? How can we get more and more hungry for God's love and, and who He is and experience more of Him? Or we might be in a place where we just don't feel that, where whether we've, we've turned away or we've just been trying to do and do and do and all this doing has made us forget the devotion part. How do we turn and... Uh, get back to that devotion? How do we go back to, to returning to the love of God? We remember, we repent and return. And that might even be small steps. It might be small things. But like as we heard at the start, it's better to crawl in the right direction than drive in the wrong direction. What can we do to grow our desire for God? How can we continue Returning to our first love. A very important question to be wrestling with. Let's, let's pray as the band comes up. Lord, we thank you so much that you love us. And Lord, I do want to, maybe this sermon's been a bit harsh, but I do want to acknowledge and thank you and praise you that this is a church that is grounded in your love. That as something, something I've learned, and I thank you for that from these people who deeply love you and who are deeply loved by you. And Lord, there's, there's, there's lots of things to celebrate in our community. There's lots of things to mourn as well. But more important than any of that, we must, must remember that we are loved by you. That you sent your son to die for us to save us, to do the work that we couldn't possibly do. And we are loved and valued, not because of our performance or our position or any of anything like that. We are loved and saved and chosen because of who you are and your love for us. Lord, we pray that as we go out this week, we would know your love. And whether we're already deep in that knowledge, we'd grow even more deep. And whether we're just scraping the surface, you would draw us to yourself, show us who you are, and that we would develop and grow a hunger for you. And Lord, we do repent for the times that we've got carried away, doing lots for you, but forgetting to just be with you and love you. And we... we, we confess that and ask for your forgiveness.
and thank you that you are just so eager for us to return to you, to return to our first love, what brought us into this place, what brought us into your family in the first place, not any of our own stuff, your invitation, your love for us. We thank you, we praise you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.